Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. I want to get into my message today. It's not going to be that short, but it's going to be, I'm going to pull it back a little bit uh, out of sensitivity toward you guys who have other things going on today. So I want to talk to you about four parts of discipleship. This spontaneously came to me at the pastor's conference in Haiti, and it just, God gave it to me. It was like a download, and I want to leave it with you because this is an important part of all of our journey in Christ. Me, you, us, we. There is four parts of discipleship that if you fail to embrace these things, you will not become whole, you will not become mature, so you will live with a sense of spiritual frustration in your life because you're looking at by faith what you could have or what you could be or what you could do but your whole life is window shopping because you're not embracing the process so this is what i want to talk to you about there's four parts of discipleship part number one is correction you have to learn how to handle correction correctly this, I would say, culturally speaking, is the most important part because culturally speaking, it is the most rejected because we are overly sensitive, easily offended, easily triggered, immature. Men do not become men until they're like 32, 33. Um, you have guys that are 35, emotionally they're 16. Their parents enabled them. They did drugs when they were young. They started to stunt their growth emotionally. The moment you started doing drugs is the moment you started stunting your growth emotionally. So you could be in a body of a 30-year-old and you started drugs at 15, 15, you're emotionally you're 15. But the world is not gonna treat you like you're 15. The world is gonna treat you like you're 30. So this is the reality. So culturally speaking, within the Western culture, Correction is the, is, is the hardest part to swallow culturally. We like to be encouraged. We love opportunities. We do hustle, grind, motivation, ugh, no days off. We, they like all that. Everyone likes to be encouraged. Oh, you're great. You can do it. We love that. Instruction, people love how-to videos. How-to videos and how-to books sell. You write a book on how to be happy, how to be successful, how to lose weight, how to build wealth. Just laying out that instruction that gives someone a roadmap, they love that. The, the, the most difficult one to swallow culturally is correction. And that is foundational part of discipleship. Jesus is, is, is teaching, he, as soon as he starts his teaching, you may have heard it said, but I say unto you. So he's not only correcting them, he's correcting their belief and their understanding of Scripture because if you don't understand Scripture correctly, you will not desire correctly, perceive correctly, or respond correctly. So he's, he's addressing their misunderstanding because if they live from that misunderstanding, they're, they're not going to fulfill his purpose in their life. They're just going to live with not much. So correction, what not to do. Are you with me? Instruction. What to do. Most people in churches are not bad people. They simply have not been taught. 
Most people have not been taught that you can heal the sick, that you can cast out demons, that you can live in the power of the Spirit, that God can provide for you supernaturally, that God can give you wisdom, that you can have victory over addiction. Most people don't even know that. Most people think the things that I don't want to do, I have to do, and I'm stuck doing, and they misquote something in Romans and basically think that they have to live in bondage their whole Christian life. And then they say dumb things like this, God knows my heart. Yeah, that's why he gave you a new heart, because he knew it so well. And he knew there was no hope for it. And so he's got to kill it and give you a new heart, a heart that is tender and receptive and a new mind so that you can live in the newness of life in Christ. Because he understands that, if, that, that, that you have to die so that you can live. So certain things in our life have to die so other things can live. So what not to do? Correction. Two, instruction. What to do? Three, in Jesus' name, you can do it. We, we believe in you. you. You can do it. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, Paul did not write that on his vision board. That was not about me getting what I want for me. That was about me going through whatever I need to go through for him. So they, you know what they do? They put that shirt, that, that scripture, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, you know, an athletic shirt. You got a guy who's 400 pounds, he can't bench press 200 pounds, and he's walking around with it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me shirt. Well, I want to be honest with you, you missed the whole point. The point is not you can do whatever you want in Jesus' name. The point is that you can go through whatever you've got to go through for Jesus in Jesus' name. It's a whole different thing. But, you know, Americans, you know how we, we do that, you know. We hijack everything, monetize it, and make it about ourselves. Anyway, so you probably will not see me wearing a shirt that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as I fail a bench press. Anyway, okay, now opportunity. Go do it. Now you see this with the disciples. He said, okay, go heal the sick. Go cast out demons. Don't go to the city of the Gentiles. Matthew 10, right? He tells them where to go, where not to go, what to take, what not to take, and what spirit to go, where to stay, how to know if you should stay there. Are you, are you guys following me? Matthew 10, it's there, I promise. And, and, and then he said, okay, now go do it. So you can only sit in a chair for so long until you're going to go do it. And you say, I'm not called to do it. Oh, yes, you are. You're not called to your comfort zone. You'll stay in your comfort zone, but you won't grow. And then we'll look to the world for entertainment and enjoyment because we don't have any pleasure or peace in Christ, so we have to go to the world. Because that's what happens when you stay in your comfort zone. You cannot grow in your comfort zone. You will not build wealth in your comfort zone. You will not build strength in your comfort zone. You will not pay debt in your comfort zone. You will not do. You will not parent in your comfort zone. You will not have a good marriage in your comfort zone. You will not have a clean house in your comfort zone. You will not have a clean car in your comfort zone. Nothing good will come in your comfort zone because every time you're going to do something significant and something meaningful and something sustainable, it requires you to step out of your comfort zone. So the comfort of having a clean car requires you getting uncomfortable, getting the armor all wipes out, scrubbing it, cleaning it, vacuuming it, so then you're sweating so that you can have a clean car, but you cannot have a clean car unless you maintain that. So you have to step out of your comfort zone if you want to be in your comfort zone of having a clean car. Even something as simple as that, you cannot think that I'm going to just stay here in my comfort zone and grow. It's not going to happen. 
I'm just saying that to you to encourage you because I want to see you grow. So these are four parts of discipleship. Now, if you are not healed, you won't desire or appreciate discipline. This is where we are culturally. Everyone is offended, angry, triggered, entitled. So if someone brings something to them that is significant, something that is helpful, the first response is, who are you? Who, who are you to tell me that? Okay, so you see this hand? You see this? When you do the resistant thing, guess who is stuck? Not me, you. If I say something to you for you, not to be a jerk, but to help you, and you're like, the only one who's stuck is you. Because I'm spinning off you, <laughs> and I'm pivoting. I'm not, I'm, you're not going to hold me up because I'm not going to do that with you, but I'm going to say this for you, that when something is brought to you that is even difficult to hear, or maybe it stings... Receive it. If something doesn't challenge you, it will not change you. If the truth doesn't trouble you, it will not transform you. This is, this is a very, very basic part of Christianity. Now, our phones have autocorrect. Sometimes it can make you say crazy stuff. <laughs> I say that. Thank God we can edit them now. Um, but our phones have autocorrect. Now, do you get offended? Let me ask you a question. Do you get offended if it, if, it, if it corrects you? No, you don't get offended. You should be thankful before you send an email making yourself look crazy. Like you can't spell. You know, you got a $90,000 a year job, you can't spell. You, the email, thank God for the email program and, and for, for the spell check because the spell check is 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 like your public relation manager because you're going to look crazy sending an email with all these typos in it how can <laughs> it's like you're speaking in tongues you should speak in tongues at home and not speak in tongues on your email especially with your bought you know your work uh, uh signature you know so anyway so do you get offended when it catches you in a typo or do you change the spelling before you send an email and make yourself look crazy? This is what you have to learn how to do if you want to live powerfully in the spirit. You have to learn to press pause on feelings, pause on uh, the, the overreactions, on being defensive, on being in denial, and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to allow it to spell check me so that I don't look crazy. You're not offended at your phone. You're not offended at Microsoft Word, but you're offended at a brother or a sister or a family member or me or someone for telling you the truth. Paul said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? The truth makes enemies because people want to oppose the truth so that they can live in bondage. But here's the problem with that. I don't want you to live in bondage. And I don't want to live in bondage. And I don't want to live around people who are living in bondage. Because people who are living in bondage are very complicated. They're not easy to be with. 
What I love about Bishop Reginald and I is that we're both easy to be with. Low maintenance. Not sensitive. You know, I'm not going to cause trouble for you. Just, you, do, you be here, and I'll be here, and we can be together. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and so anyway, the, the, the point of, of what I'm getting at is that we have to grow out of and get healed from this overly sensitive culture that we live in. I just want to tell you that. Like, really successful people are people who solicit feedback. They, they don't go, oh, like, well, you know, was that... They're not fishing for compliments. They're fishing for feedback. Feedback will make you better. Unless you don't want to be better, unless you want to stay where you are. I mean, I don't like to stay where I am personally. Anyway, okay. Now, Hebrews 12. We're going to get into the Bible. Don't worry. Hebrews 12, verse 1, it starts with a conjunction. Now, I don't know much, but I do know what a conjunction is. And a conjunction links Hebrews 12 to Hebrews 11. <laughs> so, everything that he says in 11, he goes, therefore, and then he speaks in 12. So, Hebrews 11 is what we call the Hall of Faith. It's all of the exploits of Old Testament saints. It's very important. We'll start in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So wherever there is real faith, watch this, there is a good testimony. I want you to say this with me. Real faith, good testimony. That's important. Let's say it this way. Good chef, great lunch. Okay, you see how simple that is? Well, here's another one. Expensive car, smooth ride. <laughs> Expensive headphones, come on, say it with me. Nice sound. Okay, so back to the beginning. Real faith, good testimony. Okay, so faith produces a testimony. So the substance of things unseen produces evidence in the seen realm. So based upon what we believe about Jesus, we showed up to Haiti. So all of the things that happened as a result of that were because of faith. Our faith in Christ, Christ trusting us with the mission us saying yes to the mission, moving past the difficulties and the voices and the fear and the level four state department do not go. And we go in faith and faith produced a real testimony. Now in the midst of that testimony, you have trials, tribulations, tragedy, financial issues, all types of things. But real faith produces a real testimony. This is very important in your life. Now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight, or the word there is also impediment, something that would impede you or stop you from running. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So now, everything that you heard in Hebrews 11 is tied to what is happening here in Hebrews 12. Are you with me? But those guys, as great as they were, and some ladies too, they are not the model. Jesus is the model. So they are end samples. Jesus is the example. Are you with me? You got everyone all right? It's almost lunchtime? Well, I'm not hungry yet because the deacon brought me a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. <laughs> I'm blessed with you. So anyway, so we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who's a great cloud of witnesses? The people that he just mentioned that have went before us. Remember the Bible interprets the Bible? Okay. Now, what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's playing on Greco-Roman, really Greek, games. You know the Olympia? You know Olympia? The bodybuilding thing? You think that came from America? No, that's old. That came from Greece. So what he's doing is he's playing on the games. So the crowd of witnesses is the, is the, is the, is the crowd. Are, are you guys? He is able to culturally speak to a culture he is writing in. You have to be able to do that. To effectively communicate to people, you have to understand the culture in which you are speaking in and to. All right. So, the great cloud of witnesses, according to Hebrews 11, is the saints that have went before them. But the visual picture that he's giving his audience is a crowd who would sit down in the bleachers. And if you go to Greece today, you'll still see it's still there. They have amphitheaters. In Rome, they still have the Colosseum. It's for over 1,900 years old, 2,000 years old. We've been in it. I've seen it. It's there. And they would sit and they would watch these events. So they would, you know, let's say race in an arena. They would be able to see it. They would watch it. And they would understand what is happening. Now, let us lay aside... Every weight and sin. So here's the thing. If you've ever seen runners run, they're almost naked. Have you ever seen them? You ever see sprinters? They got like little onesies on. Have you, have, are you? <laughs> I look extra cute in a onesie. <laughs> so, so anyway, they have like, what about, what about uh, marathon runners? They have really thin, light, high shorts that are too short. Right? What is the goal there? The goal is to get every weight off of them that doesn't need to be on them because what is, what is, what is required of them is full intensity so they have to lighten the load. So if you're going to be able to endure, watch this, if you're going to be able to compete, if you're going to be able to be competitive, if you're going to be able to last, you have to lay aside every impediment, everything that would try to weigh you down. You have to lay it aside. You have authority and power to lay it aside. God would not lay it aside for you. You can do that through Him, in obedience to Him. When He tells you to do something, there's grace to do it. 
Many times our experiences in life follow the words that we speak. How many times have you heard me say that God will not only pay, will not only pay for my work, but he'll pay for my rest? Yesterday when someone handed me a check, it was for my rest. Your words have power. Your words are either in agreement with God or they are not in agreement with God. But here's the problem. I look at my situation. My situation is not in agreement with God. <laughs> is your situation in agreement with God? Have you ever looked at your situation and go, man, that's just not in agreement with God. That's okay. You got to get in agreement with God first. Do you know that God is more concerned about my character than he is about my circumstances? God is more concerned about what is happening in me than what is happening around me. God is more concerned about how I respond, not what happens. Not to say he doesn't care. He does care. He's a God of love. He's a God of justice. He does care. And every wrong, eventually he will make it right. But he is more concerned with me than with what I want. But let me say this. He does care about what I want. And he does care about what you need. But he is more concerned about you. I don't know if you're, if you're with me here. So if you don't lay aside every weight and sin, you cannot run. The Christian life is spoken as a warfare a race. It's spoken, Paul says, contend for the faith. That word contend is grapple. It's like grappling. The Christian life is spoken about as a war. So, if you don't understand that, if you, if you're, if you get caught unaware and you feel like the Christian life is about, you know, your best life now, with a Joel Olstein smile, you're going to be sadly mistaken when Haiti slaps you, or when life slaps you, or when your husband slaps you, or when you slap your husband, or, 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 or when someone rear-ends your new car, or, or whatever it is that jostles you and then reminds you, yo, you are in a war. Level four, all the time. Don't think because you're in America now, it's back to level one. No, 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 no. You have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And okay, so uh, you can still cross over a bridge, but he'll, still, he'll come and he'll try to put a weight on you. He'll try to put something on you in your heart and your mind that will be an impediment to you, that will try to hold you still, who will try to hold you down. He'll bring thoughts that are crippling to you. He'll, he'll remind you of a habit that you used to like or some other thing that will ultimately try to weigh you down so you can't run. The Christian life is a, is a life of running. It is not just vacation and all that. You should do that. That's great. I'm, I'm pro-vacation. I'm the most pro-rest. People in their mind can't even understand how I would start a missions trip like that. People look at me and go, how can you do that? Watch me. 
How can I do that? I'll tell you how I can do that. Because I'm not in this. This is not a week of my life. This is my life. This is not a trial run AOL CD for three hours for free. And then I start paying. We've been paying. This is our life. So what I'm doing is I'm pacing myself because I, we can do more with Jesus over the long haul than trying to kill myself every time I leave here. I'm not doing that. So anyway, you cannot run with patience if you are not looking unto Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but patience and running, <laughs> I don't know if you're, if you're with me here, but you do not win a marathon or a sprint by patience. <laughs> yeah. Hello? You guys okay? Run with patience Looking unto Jesus. So, so, first of all, let me just say one thing. I cannot even come after Jesus if I don't deny myself and take up my cross. So I cannot even come to Jesus until I abandon me. So that I have to abandon all trust in myself. All self-reliance. Self-made. Blah, blah, blah. All that. I have to renounce that I cannot even come after him unless I deny myself, take up my cross, and then follow him. Right? Okay. Same thing here. Different metaphor. Same truth. Same idea. If I do not lay aside what would impede me, if I don't lay aside the impediment, if I don't take off what would try to hold me down, I cannot run. Are you with me? All right, stick with me. We're almost, we're not almost done, but stick with me. So then, not only the things that would impede me, but sin itself. You know what sin is? Many times people don't understand. Sin, sin many times people think of sin as like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, and that's obviously sin, but really sin is not just what you do. Many times for the Christian, for the people who are trying to do what's right, many times sin is what you don't do. Like for the rich young ruler, sin was not saying yes. He missed the mark. He didn't put God first. And he robbed himself of what God had. So, when you say yes... You're putting God first and you're positioning yourself to receive what God has. Okay? Now, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You have a race. I can't run your race. Do you know that? I can encourage you for your race. I cannot run your race. I can equip you I can teach you, you know, basic kingdom principles on what you're going to need to successfully run your race. But I can't run your race. When Brett was with me on Haiti, I was calm. I'm, I'm there. That's my race. That's like if I go to work with him and he crushes it in a meeting. He better crush it. That's his job. That's your race. So you, you, you have to run your race. What, what is God calling you to do? Where are you supposed to be an influencer for the kingdom of God? 
When people want to bring fear on you, you no, 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 I'm not going to go there on that. When people want to bring, no, 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 you, you, you have to, whatever would try to entangle you or ensnare you, you have to shake it off you. Remember when the viper bit Paul? Remember the viper? You guys remember? Yes. Amen. I guess, can I get a witness here? So, so what did Paul do? The, the viper bit him. He shook it loose and he shook it into the fire. When the viper tries to bite, shake it loose. I don't accept that. People will always curse you with their mouth. This won't happen. That won't happen. This is not going to happen. Listen, let me tell you about the God that I serve. Amen. Let me tell you about His faithfulness. Let me tell you that He's the God of the rebound. That He's the God of a second chance. That He's a God who will spit someone out of a fish because they worship fish. And when He gets there, they're going to listen to Him. Let me tell you about the God that I serve that is bigger than your situation or your deal or your problem or my opinion or whatever it is. He's bigger than all of that. Sometimes we have to just look things in the face and say, let me tell you about my God. Because that stuff always wants to really mess with us here. Okay, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised shame. So the shame of, oh... He's innocent. He's being killed. If he was really this Lord, he would save himself. If you, if you were really in your right mind, you wouldn't go to Haiti. If you, despising the shame. He goes, I, he, he, he says, I don't care about that. It doesn't mean anything to me because for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Joy is not a happy feeling. Joy is the power to endure. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Your situations are not your strength. Your circumstances are not your strength. Your finances are not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The enemy goes after your joy because in your joy is your strength. What did the enemy go after with Samson? His strength. How? Through his weakness. Because why? He didn't steward his eyes. Whatever you don't steward, you will lose. Are you with me? Hello? He told his secret to Kiki. Kiki got him feeling right. And then he said, the key to my strength is my hair. But it wasn't his hair. It was his commitment as a Nazarite. It was his purity. The strength was in his purity and his commitment. But since he didn't steward his eyes, he lost them. And since he wanted vengeance so bad, it took his life. Are you with me? Yes. So whatever you don't steward your heart, you'll lose your life. You don't steward your eyes, you'll lose your eyes. Whatever you fail to steward, you will lose. Okay? Now, for the joy set before me endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So you have to consider that Jesus, who was innocent, came against great hostility to bring forth salvation. So that means that to do something good or something right and something significant and something meaningful, there will be hostility, difficulty, 
pressure and it will come in the form of people's words, situations, financial troubles, your own doubts, your spouse's complaining. It will, it will come in the form of different things. So you have to understand that the nature of trying to move forward means that there will be resistance. How are you going to take ground from the enemy with no resistance? You can't. Okay. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So if you don't consider what Jesus has went through, you will become discouraged and weary. So that means, listen, if you learn and know what to think about, it is actually protection from becoming weary. Many times it's not our circumstances that make us weary, it's how we think about our circumstances that make us weary. Okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to help someone. So anyway... You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So this is speaking of Jesus. He sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he shed blood in his journey to the cross, striving against sin. So to not participate with sin cost him blood. And if you know something, let me tell you something. I'm going to say something to you. Some of you are not going to know this. Maybe you forgot. But you know that most valuable things in your life have blood involved? When a man first sleeps with his wife, hopefully, that's a blood covenant. I know that we don't do that. We don't talk about that in this culture. That's a blood covenant. When a woman gives birth, water breaks, blood flows. So, so blood is life. So, so when people, you know, when someone gets in a ring and they fight for money, they're giving their life for money. Just so you know what, 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 is, what is happening there. So this is very significant. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Here it comes. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges... Do you hear this word scourge? Scourges. You, now we have culture that doesn't even want to spank their kids. Scourges. Listen, if you were abused, I'm very sorry. If you were neglected, I'm very sorry. Get biblical and get healthy. There has to be pain attached to bad choices or you will help your children make bad choices. Some of you are the result of your parents isolating you from pain and it didn't catch up to you until you're 30. You could also be the result of abuse. I'm not saying abuse either. But this is the father. This is, this is watch this. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. You cannot be a son unless you are dealt with by God. When I listen to people, most people are being dealt with by the world. When you listen to what is coming through their mouth, you are hearing 
The world is dealing with them, not God. That's why there has to be a shift in perspective. Watch this. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are bastards, King James says, bastards, illegitimate, in, in the New King James is nicer. <laughs> Old King James is, you know, it's not a donkey, it's an ass. You know, like, it's, it's like, it's not illegitimate, you're a bastard. It's like, you know, like, uh, so the, the King James was pretty, pretty. So, so, but to be legitimate, or to be real, or to be a part of the family, you have to be dealt with. Now, let's say I'm out in the park and some other kid is acting like a devil. Guess what? That's not my problem. It's not my responsibility either. And as sad as it is, it's not my problem. You know what's my problem? When that little attitude wants to come at my dinner table, then it becomes my problem. And now, I'm responsible. And I become responsible because that attitude is in my house. And that attitude is not going to stay in my house. So I don't know what you learned at school. I don't know what you heard on the playground. But that's not how we speak in this house. You're not going to speak to me like that. You're not going to speak to my wife like that. So my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. So Jesus despise shame, don't despise his chastening. Jesus was dealt with for you so that he could deal with you. Don't despise it. When God begins to address something in our life, when God begins to zoom in on something, when God begins to say, no, 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 I love you enough, I don't want, I saw you like that too long, I want to help you with this, I love you. Let him deal with it. Don't hide it. Don't play games. Don't be like, oh, I'm okay. I'm a grand Christian now. Hallelujah. No, no, no. Wait a second. You're not okay. And anyone who's okay knows you're not okay. Because <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's not how okay sounds. <laughs> so, so, so it's okay that you're not okay. But let's get okay. Right? So God, as a father, wants to deal with sons. Daughters too. But if you are without chastening, you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Now here is a very challenging part, because the writer of Hebrews draws on the household unit that in those days was intact, but in these days are not intact. So now... I'll use Stephanie as a great example. Stephanie has a great advantage in life, not because she married Roshan only, but because she has a father who raised her in faith. And it's evident by the joy in his life and how he is with people. You can see it. Okay? That is an advantage... Because we live in a culture where that is not the reality. Now, you may say, man, my dad left. I grew up with no dad. My dad was abusive. But now you have a chance to break that curse and say, 
Hell no. I'm going to raise my children in the love of Christ, in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to honor my wife. I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to give them an example worth following. Because maybe it didn't happen for you. That doesn't mean it can't happen through you. That doesn't mean that God cannot rewrite the story, as Sarah was singing earlier, through you saying yes and embracing this. So Paul, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews draws on this human example that sets the foundation for a godly example. So if the human example wasn't there, it's difficult to see this godly example. That's why to some of us, some things are natural, but to other people, it's not natural. That's why some, some of us are, you know, like people, there's certain people that their natural propensity is generosity. Why? Because they grew up with abundance or they grew up with generous parents. I, re I remember we had um, Steph fed us one time and I, and I said, what, what are you doing? You know, we want to pay. And she goes, no, 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 my dad trained me. I felt like crying right then and there. I was going to do a meltdown. Ooh, because that, that's powerful. Because most of what people's dads did is damage them. But now in Christ, we can rewrite this story. You're going to rewrite this story. Okay. Now we are literally almost done. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. Okay. You're going to see it. There's, a, there's about to be a switch here. They chastened us as it seemed best to who? Them. Watch this. Watch the next part. This is good. This has got to, as soon as I hear this word, my antenna goes, whoop. Four, four bars. What, what? 5G. Hold on. What? But he, for our profit. Oh, wait a minute. This is not profit like P-R-O-P-H-E-T, profit. This is like profit, like P-R-O-F-I-T, profit. <laughs> so, so the fathers who disciplined us, track with me, stick with me just for a few more minutes. They did it because it was their responsibility, but they did it. They chastened us as it seemed best to them. Say them. Them. Say them. It, when you have a child who has your name and looks like you, it, it's like you better not be a loser. You know, like you better, you better really focus you know, here because you got my name, pal. It's like, you know, honestly, I mean, maybe you don't think that, but, you know, it's like one of you better do hit the ball out of the park. So, but he, for our profit, our profit. This is, this is really something because his motivation is your profit. That's <laughs> like, hold on here. Some of y'all are not, some of y'all, Maybe on Monday you can receive this better because it's business time. You know, Sunday everybody's looking for Netflix. Like, I, don't, I know that none of you spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week for your profit. None of you do that. <laughs> Nobody does that. He does it. 
He brings the discipline, the, chaste, the chastening, the scourging, the, for our profit. He deals with you so that you may handle his affairs. Okay. This is like when Jesus says in Revelation 2 and 3, Buy from me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich. You never read that? Nobody in their right mind sells you gold so that you can get rich. They sell gold so they can get rich. Are, are you guys... Are we, are we here? I know it's late. I know you, this has been a hostage. But the people are in business to make money. But you have a business partner who is Jewish. Listen to me for a second. Who is in it for your profit, for you. He is, he is dealing with you not because of his own insecurities, not because of his own fears, because of his love for you, his commitment to you. So he says, son, daughter, I'm going to address this thing for your profit, for your well-being, for you. So when someone says something to you that maybe rubs you the wrong way or maybe you don't like it and you're a little upset, it is for your profit. It is for you to get well, to be healthy, so that you can handle what God wants to give. If you cannot be dealt with by God, how can you deal on God's behalf? Are, are, you, are you... Okay. Here it comes. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So God deals with me, and he disciplines me, and he disciplines you, so that he can share his very life with us. Not just stuff, things, breakthroughs, blah, blah, blah. His holiness, his very, the essence of who he is. So the, the thing that separates him from the whole rest of the world, he disciplines us so that he can share that with us. Okay. <laughs> now, he's going to get real here. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Nobody signs up and goes, oh, I want to be chastened. Come over here and, you know, destroy me. Nobody signs up for that. No, no chastening uh, seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Say painful. painful. You cannot tell me that being dealt with by God is not painful. David said, I thought of God and I was troubled. So as much as God is, is the comforter, he will also trouble you because you will never be transformed until you are deeply, deeply troubled. You, you will never really be transformed until the way you are kills you enough to want to die to yourself so that you can live to him. Okay. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless afterward, say afterward, 
afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, the discipline of the Lord, as Chris Valentin says, suffering is training for reigning. If, if you cannot handle correction and you cannot handle to be told, no, you were wrong, you will be destroyed when people tell you you're amazing, you're right, we love you. You will live in the, the, the praise of man and it will be intoxicating and destructive to you. If you cannot handle criticism well, you cannot handle people celebrating you. You cannot let people touch your spirit. You have to live from your relationship with God. But here's the thing. If God sends someone to speak to you and to share something with you and to, to encourage you or to challenge you or to correct you and you reject it, guess who you're rejecting? Him. So many times we're praying for something to happen and then a difficult situation arises or something difficult is said to us, or we have to go through a certain difficulty, and that is a direct answer to our prayer, and then we start complaining when God just responded to us through the situation that is happening. So we have to be perceptive to the one who is doing it. Now, nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, when someone has been dealt with by God, I'm going to tell you one of the main characteristics of someone who has been dealt with by God, they are peaceable. Peaceable. You know what that means? Not difficult. Not touchy. Not easily offended. Peaceable. You know what that means? People like to be around you. Because it's not hard to be around you. Because you're peaceable. People are not tired being with you for 30 minutes. Because you're peaceable. People want you around because you're peaceable. You are easy to be with. Because discipline has dealt with you. And you are now peaceable. And it produces the fruit of righteousness. So what does that mean? When God addresses what is wrong in my life, maybe you don't have anything wrong in your life. <laughs> when God addresses what's wrong, right? And I let him make it right, I have peace with him because now I'm not fronting with him. I'm being honest and transparent with him. Have you ever, like, been with someone and they're pretending like something's not wrong, but something is really wrong? Everyone knows something is wrong, so you should just address it, because we all see it. So, but when you allow God to address it in you personally, right, track with me, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life, where the thing that was wrong, you have allowed God to make it right, but that is only a result of allowing the Lord to discipline you and to bring correction to your life, because that protection, that, that correction is really protection. 
right? What do you tell a kid? Don't touch the stove! Why? Not because you want to hinder their fun, because you don't want to take them to the emergency room, because you're trying to have them avoid pain. And, and so, and if you, let's say you don't discipline your kids, you're teaching them that there's no consequences for their actions. That, that's, that's, that's the result of a generation. That, that's what fatherlessness does. Fatherlessness says there's no discipline, there's no repercussion for your actions, so since you didn't go to the baseball game, you're going to have to visit him in prison. You could either go to a baseball game or visit him in prison, but you're eventually going to have to show up. But if you, whatever you neglect, the Bible says a child left to himself brings his mother shame. You, you guys, whatever you neglect will bring you shame. So if you have a responsibility in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, whatever you neglect will eventually bring you shame if you neglect it. Jesus despised the shame, but we are not to despise the discipline. Because it is motivated by love. This is what I want to get at. This is, this is, this is incomprehensible to me that people can't see that. To me, it's very sad because the people that really love you, you're mad at, and the people that want to destroy your life, you pursue. Jesus, remember Peter? Remember Peter steps out of the boat into the water? You guys remember that? As long as Peter is looking at Jesus, Peter is walking on water. The moment Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and focuses on his circumstances, he begins to sink. My eyes are not on my circumstances. My eyes are on Jesus. You, we got to take our eyes off of our circumstances. Not, not, he is walking over his circumstances. So he's not in denial of his circumstances. He's not in some sort of delusion and pretend like, oh, I don't have any problems, I'm okay. No, 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 bro. He had real storm, but he was walking over the storm because his eyes were on Jesus. So who you look at determines how you walk. You, you will be, whatever you behold, you'll become like. Okay. Oh, man, I forgot this part. Let me read this to you. This is too good not to read to you. Yes, let us run looking to Jesus, looking not to ourselves or our sins, but to Him who hath put away sin forever, not to ourselves or our faith, whether it is in weakness or in strength, but to Him whose presence is the life of our faith, not to the world or to its temptations, but to Him who has said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, not to Satan or his threats, but to him who hath brought him to naught, not to men, to their fear or their favor, but to Jesus, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, our brother and our king, looking unto Jesus and Jesus alone, looking to him always and in all, in trial and in trouble, as in joy and prosperity, in solitude and repose, as in the company uh, in business, in religious worship, as in daily life, always only looking to Jesus, looking to Him to see what He is, to hear what He speaks, to do what He says, to follow where He leads, to trust for all He waits to give. Looking to Him and His love till my heart burns with that love. Looking to Him 
till his eyes meet mine, and I know that he watches over me, looking to him in the power of his love and spirit, knowing that he himself is drawing me closer to himself, leading and perfecting my faith, looking to him to be changed into his likeness, and from glory to glory, let us run with patience, looking to Jesus. We have to focus or refocus on Him. Okay? I'm encouraging you. Now, God is a Father. Do you know that before God was a Creator, He was a Father? Did you know that? Because Jesus was begotten, not created. Sarah's to me. Does this mean I need a new watch, sweetheart? Are you going to sow a seed? <laughs> She's speaking to me. I'm just messing around. Okay, because God is Father, He is morally obligated to care for His children. His loving care includes identity, purpose, provision, protection, and correction. Why would God give us purpose if we can't receive correction? Correction is a test. Correction and patience are both primary expressions of biblical love. So the primary expression of love is love is patient. But love brings discipline and even with discipline patience is necessary. Okay? Alright, we're done. Some of y'all been done. He's not done. Brother Eric is not done. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. <laughs> Lord, we thank you so much for loving us, God. As a good father. As a good father. Lord, some of us don't have a great father image. Some of us have an absent father image. Or a clumsy father image, or an angry father image. But you, Father, I ask that you would restore in our hearts the image of Father. That we would understand that it is your love for us that deals with us and makes us sons and daughters that you have a responsibility to your children and you take it seriously. And so we're going to run this race looking to your son because he's worthy. And so we ask you, Lord, to help us to live lives that are worthy of him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.